Well, you know, last week we had a good time. We talked a little bit more about what Jesus said about prayer. And we discovered one important thing that he said about prayer is that we are to pray that the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers into his harvest. He has a harvest. And that is what is keeping him back. Because he is waiting for the precious fruit of the earth. And that includes some of your relatives. And you know, really, in fact, God's already done everything he's going to do about saving the lost. I mean, Jesus can't go back to the cross again. He can't go into the region of the damned again. Can't be raised up from the dead again. Can't shed his blood again. It's a once and for all redemption. So in that sense, legally, he's done everything he's going to do about saving the lost. He gave us the responsibility to tell the good news. He gave us the responsibility to be the laborers and to bring the gospel, the good news to people. Now, how many of you know it's not always easy to witness to your relatives? (laughs) Can I get a witness? Not the easiest thing. Now, you check up on the inside, you know, he'll lead you, he'll guide you. He'll let you know what to say, what not to say. But, you know, most of the time, uh, he'll send somebody, he'll send a labor to talk to him about the Lord. And so that's why the Lord says, pray that the Lord of the harvest would send forth labors into his harvest. And so last week we broke the power of the devil over our loved ones. And, you know, that doesn't need to be done again. I mean, if we really did it in faith, it's over with. Amen. Glory to God. Laborers are on the way if they haven't already come. And your relatives are coming in. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So, you know, one prayer that you can pray is you can pray in the Holy Ghost. You know, because when you pray in the Holy Ghost, you're always praying the perfect will of God. Likewise, the Spirit himself. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Helpeth. Giveth us utterance. Helps us. Glory to God. When we don't know what to pray for as we ought. The Spirit of God on the inside of us will assist us to pray for our loved ones. Amen? Amen. And so pray much in the Holy Ghost for the lost. Pray much in the Holy Ghost for your, for your loved ones that are on the way in. Amen. Amen. Let's just thank Him right now again. Lord, we thank You. They're on the way in. Coming in. We're seeing them at the altar. We're seeing them in church, Lord. Praise You, Father. Glory to God. (laughs) Woo, hallelujah. That makes me happy. That makes me happy to know that your relatives are coming in. I've seen it happen in my family. I got a brother that's in heaven. I got a mother that's in heaven. I got a father that's in heaven. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. I got an uncle that's in heaven. Uncle Bill prayed for him down in Arizona before he took off. Glory to God. Oh, what a reunion it's going to be. You talk about a family reunion. Oh, my. Woo, glory. A family reunion. The Bible talks about the father, hallelujah, of the family in heaven and the family on earth. You know, if you're blood bought, you're my brother. If you're blood bought and born again, you're my sister. Oh, thank you, Lord. Aren't you excited about seeing the family in heaven? I mean, not only your natural kinfolk, but your spiritual kinfolk. Oh, man, we're going to shout all day and all night long. Hallelujah. Well, there is no night there, so we're going to shout for eternity. Hallelujah. Glory to God. 
We need to be comforted by those words. We're not always going to be doing what we're doing tonight. We're not always going to be here. Our citizenship is in heaven. I'm looking for him. How about you? Now, don't misunderstand me. I want to finish my course. I don't want my course to finish me. I want you to finish your course and your course not to finish you. But, oh, glory to God, what a day it will be when our Jesus we shall see. Woo! Glory to God. Hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So, anyway, when it comes to this area of prayer, you know, it. I think it'd be good for us to know how to do it. You know, and, and, and to know how to do it right. I mean, uh, the Miami Marlins opened up against the St. Louis Cardinals today down in Miami. I was, you know, resting in the Lord, looking at my notes and took a little nap. But I had one eye on my notes and one eye on the TV. (laughs) And uh, I noticed that pitcher, he didn't come out with a helmet. He didn't have a helmet on. He had a baseball hat on. And when he was fixing to, to pitch to the leadoff hitter... He wasn't throwing a football at him. And the guy at the plate didn't have a driver. See, you can't play baseball with football rules. Is that right? Now, tomorrow, let's take, for example, the Masters happens every time this this time of the year. The Masters is a big golf tournament. They say Tiger's having a comeback. Praise the Lord. Well, I hope he does. And I hope on his way back he'll receive Jesus. Why not? Lord, send a laborer to Tiger. You know God's sending laborers to Tiger. Amen? Glory to God. So the Masters, you know, starts on Thursday, ends on Sunday. Well, the Masters, they don't go out there on the, on the green, you know, with, with a, a football helmet. or a, and a, Let's put it this way. They don't go up to the first tee with a, with a what do they call this thing, a hockey stick. You can probably figure out I'm left-handed, so that's why I'm doing this. You don't use a hockey stick to drive a golf ball. You use a driver or an iron or a three-wood. Amen. And so, you know, we know that in the natural realm that you can't play certain sports with different other sports rules, yet people do that with prayer all the time. See, there's a tendency to, to put all prayer in the same sack. And it's sort of shake it up all together. And then just let it go. And they say, well, prayer is prayer. But there's different rules. Maybe a different word would be there's different principles that govern the different types of prayer. Now, did you know that in some prayers, it's okay to pray if it be thy will. But in other types of prayers, it's not okay. Let me show you what I mean. Is that all right? All right. Well, let's turn quickly over to... uh, uh, Luke chapter 22, verse 42. Luke chapter 22, verse 42. Now, one type of prayer, and we're talking about, you know, what Jesus said about prayer or how Jesus was an example in prayer. You know, one thing about prayer, the greatest thing about prayer is doing it. And you know what prayer is? Prayer is simply communion with God. It's simply talking to your father. And then listening and let him talk to you. Now this is over here in the Garden of Gethsemane. Okay? And this is right before Jesus was to go to the cross. 
Jesus knew why he came to this earth. The older he got, the more he became aware of it. And he knew that the time was drawing near. And I don't even know that he had flesh just like you had flesh. He knew that the cup that he was going to drink was a cup of suffering. It was a cup of pain. It was a cup of every rotten, filthy sin that was ever. He became sin with our sinfulness that we might be righteous with his righteousness. He never committed any sin any more than you ever committed any righteousness. Amen. And not only was he going to take and drink the cup of sin, but he was going to bear all disease. That's why Isaiah said, he said, surely he has borne our griefs, sicknesses, carried our pains. Yet we did esteem him, stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. That's our sins. He was bruised for our iniquities. The punishment needful to obtain peace and well-being for us was upon him. He became tormented on the cross for you and I. He bore mental disease on the cross. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with the stripes that wounded him, we are healed and made whole. And so look over here in Luke chapter 22. The realization that the substitutionary sacrifice was on its way dawned upon him. Luke chapter 22, 42. He said, Father, if thou be willing. In other words... If it's your will, everyone say, if it's your will. He said, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. I just described that cup. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Amen. So he used, if it be thy will, in one of his prayers. And yet he made the adjustment real quick. And he said, you know what? Not my will, but yours be done. That was what we could call the prayer of consecration and the prayer of commitment. Well, God's not asking you to go to the cross, thank God. Amen. But he may be asking you to do something that your flesh recoils at. He may ask you to go somewhere that in the natural realm you would rather not go. He may ask you to do some things that you'd rather not do. I'm not saying he he is, but he could. And so I think a prayer that we need to be praying on a regular basis is, Lord, not my will, but let your will be done. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in my life, in every area of my life. Now turn over to James. Well, let's turn over to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. Here's something else Jesus said about prayer. Let's learn something tonight. Matthew chapter 18. Verse 18. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Verse 19. Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth... As touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. So let's break this down just a moment. He says, I'm telling you this 
It only takes two of you to be in agreement. It could be a husband and a wife. It could be a friend and a friend. It only takes two. And he says, if two of you shall agree. Now that word agree there in the Greek, and I don't know how to pronounce it, but we get our English word symphony from that. How many have ever been to a symphony before? Okay. There is in a good symphony, in a good presentation, that symphony is in perfect harmony. Everyone is doing their part. Everyone is in sync. Amen? And so what the Lord is saying is when you pray this prayer of agreement, you've got to be in sync. There must be a symphony, a harmony, an agreement between you concerning what you're praying about. Amen? In other words, if one person is praying one thing, and another person is praying another thing, they're not in agreement. Okay? Do you see that? Everyone say agreement. Let me read that uh, verse from the Amplified Version of verse 19. He says, again, I tell you, that of two of you on earth, now that's a prerequisite, you can't be so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. You got to be right here. On earth. If you'll agree... Harmonize together. Make a symphony together about whatever, anything and everything they may ask. It will come to pass and be done for them by my Father which is in heaven. That is the prayer of agreement. And in this prayer of agreement, you've got to make sure that what you are agreeing on lines up with the Bible. I mean, you can't just go asking for things randomly that don't line up with the plan of God and with the will of God and with the Word of God. Amen? A good illustration of something that would be unscriptural is agreeing in prayer. Now, you know, brother, just agree with me that I can have so-and-so's wife. That's unscriptural. That's ungodly. That's devilish. And it'd do you more good to twiddle your thumbs and say, twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are, than to pray a foolish prayer like that. So in every arena of the area of prayer, you've got to have a solid foundation under you. The Word of God is your solid foundation. If you see it in the Word... It's yours. Amen. And I'm going to tell you what. You put your faith together with my faith. One will put a thousand to flight, but two chase 10,000. And so it's, it's a good thing to have a, a prayer partner. Agree to be in harmony with one another. And notice with me in verse 20. For where two or three are gathered together in whose name? In the name of Jesus, he says, there am I, I'm right there in the midst of you. You know, and, and, and that scripture has been used for years and years for Sunday night services and Wednesday night services. As you can see, not everybody is out tonight, right? 
You come back Sunday morning, you'll see both services full. And uh, so pastors and leaders of church have kind of used that scripture to salve their conscience, you know. Well, you know, the Bible says, if just two or three are gathered in my name, and the Lord is here tonight. You know, and it's not even talking about that. It's not talking about church attendance. And if the church wasn't so backslidden, there'd be more people here. Oops. Did I say that? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I'm just having a little fun. Hallelujah. Whip your hanky out and wave it at me or something. (laughs) No, I'm just a kid. But there's there's some truth in that. But we won't go there. No, that script, the the context of that scripture isn't talking about church attendance. When Jesus is saying, I'm right there in the midst of you, he's saying, I'm smack dab right in the middle with you in your agreement. I'm in faith with you and I am the one who's going to bring to pass that which you have agreed upon. I'm going to bring it to pass. Oh, hallelujah. Aren't you glad? Seen then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, Son of God. Now, so once you agree on something, hold fast to that. Look over at uh, Hebrews chapter 4, and I'll have to get the right scripture. I think I just quoted it, but let's look at it anyway. Hebrews 4. You got to hold fast to that. And here's what happened people agree. And then they switch over to walking by sight rather than walking by faith. And when it doesn't come pass by, come to pass by tomorrow night, well, I guess God didn't hear me. Well, you really hung in there, didn't you, Tiger? Uh-uh. Well, I guess, you know, I, I don't know whether the Lord heard me or not. How would you know that if he heard you? Well, if you prayed according to the principle. If you prayed according to the will of God. The Bible says this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. He that believeth hath. And so in this time, if you will, between the amen or the prayer of agreement and the here it is, it's important for you to hold fast. You don't necessarily need to pray about it again, but hold fast to the confession of your faith. Hebrews, the fourth chapter. Thank you, Lord. Glory. Okay, yeah, we quoted Hebrews 4.14. Seeing that we have a great high priest that is passed in the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our what? Our profession. Literally, there is confession. We could say it this way. The profession of the born-again believer is to hold fast to their confession. That's one of our jobs. All right, look at Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. We're in that neighborhood. So the point is this, is he's right there in the midst of you to carry out what you were agreed upon. Hebrews, the third chapter, first verse. It says, Wherefore, holy brethren... Partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and the high priest of our profession or our confession, Christ Jesus. Think about that. 
Let's break this down. Consider the apostle and high priest of our what? Of our profession. So it's saying here, consider Jesus. He is the apostle and high priest of our confession or our profession. So as I am holding fast to what we have agreed upon, and I'm living my life in an attitude of praise and thanksgiving, and I'm holding fast to the profession of my faith, he as the apostle and the high priest of my profession is superintending and watching over, if you will, that confession, and he is obligated and committed to bring it to pass. Now, the word apostle there is a sent one. He is the one sent from the Father to superintend and to watch over your faith. Oh, hallelujah. So that's the prayer then of agreement. Now let's look at another one. Look at Mark 11. And notice with me in verse 24. We're going somewhere tonight. Look at your neighbor and say, we're going somewhere. Look at Mark 11, verse 24. And really, this this prayer that we're going to look at now is probably the prayer that you will pray the most as a Christian. Really. And this is the prayer petition. Or this is the prayer of going to your Father in the name of Jesus and asking Him... For those things which rightfully belong to you as a child of God, like healing, like finances, or whatever the case may be. And you're going to be praying this prayer a lot. So if you're going to be praying this prayer a lot in your life, it would be good to understand how to pray it right. How to pray it accurately. Amen? There's a right way to pray this prayer, and there's a wrong way to pray this prayer. Okay? So let's let's try to break this down a little bit. Mark 11, verse 24. Notice here with me. He said, therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall, what? Have them. Okay, let's first of all look at the word desire. Everyone say desire. Or one translation says, what things soever you ask for. Or, I like the King James best, what things soever you desire. I've got a question for you tonight. And this is very important that you understand this. The question is, where are you with your faith? Another way we could illustrate it would be is this. Do you know how much money... You have in the in your bank. How many of you know how much money you have in the bank? Okay. How many of you know about how much? Okay. So, it's important to know how much money you have in the bank, right? In your checking account. Why? Because when the first rolls around, amen? You don't want that check here right now to your landlord or to the person that holds the mortgage. You don't want that check to bounce. Okay? You don't want to get a notice insufficient funds. We get those notices sometimes here at the church, but I won't meddle. 
You do not want to. You do not want to be overdrawn. Okay? You want to learn how to balance your checkbook. Okay? Well, spiritually speaking, it's important for you to know how much faith you have in your faith account. Are you listening to me? So that you don't attempt to use more than you have. And let me tell you, I've seen this over the process of 30 plus years. People trying to operate at a high level of faith when they're down here. And that's not a put down, it's just a fact. It is so important. You see, he says, and I want us to keep it up there, because we're working with this tonight. Mark eleven twenty four. he says, what things soever you desire. Did you know that you can desire a whole lot? I desire a whole lot. I desire a whole lot. The question I have for you is, does your faith match your desire? Are you really there? Or are you living on borrowed faith? Are you living on the testimony of someone that has been at this for 40 and 50 years and through faith and patience has inherited the promises? Amen. Are you living on their faith? Or do you really, really, really know beyond any shadow of a doubt that what you have in your faith account matches your desire? Very important. You see, we can have a million dollar desire, but do you have million dollar faith? Does your faith match your desire? I think it's important for every one of us, including Pastor Mark, all of us. I think it's vital to ask ourselves, what can we believe God for? Where are we at? Yeah, Pastor Mark, but God can do anything. We're not talking about God. We're talking about what can you believe the God who can do anything for? Now I'm going to quote it. Well, let's look at it and then we'll go back to Mark 11, 24. I want to look at Ephesians 3, 20. I'm encouraging you tonight to take a good look at your life. To examine yourself. To discover where you're at. You see, every one of us in this auditorium have the measure of mountain moving faith. You know, he said over in Romans 12, 3, he says, For I say through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, that you have all been dealt the measure of faith. So we start out with the same amount, but you've got to develop that faith. How many have ever seen Donnie Moore before? Okay. Now, I worked out in the gym for about an hour and a half today, but I'll guarantee you, 
I was not bench pressing 500 pounds. It was more like 50. That's the level of faith that I have. Or that's all the harder I'm willing to push myself. But you take Donnie Moore. If we went to the same gym, Donnie would be grunting and groaning. And he might be able to lift 500 pounds. Well, does God love Donnie any more than he loves Pastor Mark? No. What's the deal? What's the thing? Donnie's more developed in his natural muscles than Pastor Mark is. Now, you put us on a treadmill, it might be a different story. So, every one of us have certain muscles of faith. And so, what I like to do is I like to encourage people to believe God right where they're at. I've seen so much hyper faith that it almost makes me want to vomit. I've seen so many people with such high and lofty desires, and they can't even pay a $50 PG&E bill. And I don't say that as a put down, but it's a fact. Start out by believing God for socks. And undergarments. Before you start believing him to own the department store. Now don't get me wrong. Our God's good now. I say my God's a good God. And my God is able. But his ability is released in direct proportion to the amount of power that you've got working in your life. And this comes as a means of development. That's why I taught several months on the subject in training. What are you trying to do, Pastor Mark? Be my coach? Yes. I want to train you. I want to coach you to get stronger. And I need to get stronger. So I'm not up here and you're down here. We're all working on this together. You you got my heart on this? Look at Ephesians 3.20. Now let's notice this. It says, Now unto him... That is able, everyone say God's able. able. Now and then that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. According to what? According to the power that's working in us. That's Holy Spirit power, but that's also faith power. Amen? So it's in direct proportion to where we are at. Amen? So it's not so much what he can do, but what can we believe him for? Your desire and your faith must match. You know what your desire does? Your desire focuses your faith. Amen? And so, well, what do I do if I'm not there? Start out where you're at. Start right where you're at every day. Confessing the word. Meditating on the word. Taking God at his word. Walking by faith and not by faith. 
And you'll find that there'll be tests that'll come along. I like what one person said. A test can very easily be turned into a testimony. If you do the right things in the midst of the test. Amen? And uh, so I believe in operating in faith, not foolishness. You know, I, I believe in operating in, in, in Bible, strong faith, and not presumption. I really do. I believe this about medical science. I believe that if a person has the faith to believe God, not to use a doctor, then the proof of the pudding will be in the eating. But 99% of Christians don't. I'll be honest with you. And there are people that are fearful in going to doctors because they're afraid they might get a bad report. Understand this, the doctors are not our enemies. You listen to me? And I've had the unfortunate experience of seeing people pass away at an early age because they refuse to use a doctor. And they're in heaven. Praise the Lord for that. And they chose to do what they did, and that's all right. And there's no condemnation there. But you've got to have an understanding of where you're at. It's the same with insurance. You know? Ah, I don't need life insurance. I don't need health insurance. Are you sure? Or is it because you're too cheap to buy it? Huh? See, sometimes people get so hyper in their faith that the reality of it is, is they don't have the money for it. I'm just being honest. Does your faith match your desire? I have health insurance. I have life insurance. This church has key man insurance. Probably should have more. Has key man insurance of $500,000. Anything ever happened to Pastor Mark? Church would automatically get a half a million dollars. Uh, Brother, don't you believe you're going to live long? Yes, I do. But I live in a fallen world. Are you listening to me? And I'm believing God with every fiber of my being for long life. And yet, on the other hand, I believe that we are to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves because there's more at stake than just me. And there's more at stake than just you. You've got children. Are you listening to me? You've got loved ones. And you've got people that, quite frankly, are looking to you to take care of them. Amen. And so it's very important. You know, we want to make sure that we're operating in true Bible faith and not foolishness. True Bible faith and not presumption. Amen. Well, enough of that. Let's go back to Mark eleven twenty four. Oh, Hallelujah. Say it with me, I'm going to develop my faith. Now notice this, this is awesome. He said, therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, do what? Believe, Believe you receive them, and what will happen? And you shall have them. I got a question for you tonight. 
When will you have them? When you believe you receive them. I like, what, I like how Fred Price puts it as clear as daylight. He says, you've got to believe you've got it before you get it. And you believe you've got it at the time you pray. You don't wait until you get it in the natural to believe. What would you need to believe then for? It's in your hot hands. But he says, what things soever you desire when you pray. Let me ask you this. When is when you pray? Right now. When you pray, believe you receive them and you might have them. You shall have them. Anybody ever heard of a gentleman by the name of F.F. Bosworth? In closing tonight, let me just say a few things from his book out of chapter 9 called The Faith That Takes. What things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. He says, faith is a title deed. Faith is the evidence or the title deed of things not seen. In Jeremiah, Bosworth says, a title deed is repeatedly spoken of as the evidence. He says, your deed is the evidence or proof that you own your own home. He said, faith is the title deed to what you have not yet seen. When you have been given a deed to a home, which you have not yet seen, you already have a home before you see it. Jesus repeatedly said, he that believeth hath. He said, Moffat's translation says that faith means that we are convinced of what we do not see. In Mark eleven twenty four, he goes on to say, Jesus commanded us to believe we have received the things we pray for at the time we pray. That's so important. That is a rule. That is a principle. When you pray, you must believe that you receive. And that's why you have Christians praying over and over again for the same thing. Ad infinitum. Because they really didn't believe they received it when they prayed the first time. Jesus commands us to believe we have received the things we pray for at the time we pray without waiting to see or feel them. On this condition, he promises you shall have them. He said, faith for the healing of your body is the same as faith for forgiveness. Listen to this. You are to believe on the authority of God's word that you were forgiven before you felt forgiven. Nothing else is faith. For faith is the evidence of things not seen or felt. As soon as the blessing that we take by faith is manifested, faith for that blessing ends. How many give me a few more moments? He says, we are to believe. Say it with me. What things? Soever I desire. When I pray, I must believe that I receive 
and I shall have. I must believe I've got it before I get it. Because believing I've got it before I get it is what makes this work. I can't get any more clear than that. We are to believe that our prayer is granted at the time we pray that we already have what we prayed for before we see it. He says, this is the confidence referred to in 1 John 5, 14 and 15. We know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. I love this. He said, the fig tree which Jesus cursed up, dried up, cursed, dried up, not from the leaves that could be seen, but from the roots. When he cursed it, he cursed it from the roots. And it wasn't until the next day that it was noticed that it was dried up. By looking at the leaves, the death of the tree could not be detected at first. Now, this is worth your drive. Bosworth goes on to say this. Perfume is non-existence to the sense of hearing. You can smell it. Sometimes you wish you didn't. But you can't always see it. He said this, what we take, what you and I take, Pastor Mark and you, what we take by faith, according to Mark eleven twenty four, is at first non-existent to the five natural senses. You do not doubt the existence of what you see because you can't smell or taste it or hear it then why doubt the existence of what you have taken by faith, he calls the sixth sense, before, because you can't yet see it or feel it. The five natural senses belong to the natural man. But Paul tells us that the natural man receives not the things of God It is only by our sixth sense, faith, that we can see, take, and hold on to the blessing God offers us, to us, until they are uh, fully manifested. Listen to this. He said to consult with our natural senses for evidence that our prayer has been granted is as ridiculous is trying to see with our ears or to hear with our eyes. All of our six senses work independent of each other. You see what you can't hear. You hear what you can't see. In the same way you have by faith what is at first non-existence existent to the natural senses. He says it is important to see That the contrary evidences of the senses is no reason for doubting. The evidence on which faith rests are still perfect. It is only faith when we are believing in the face of contrary evidence of the senses. Abraham believed and received the word of God in the face of nature's evidence to the impossibility. You must already Have perfume before you can smell it. 
You must already have food before you can taste it. And you must already have the healing before you can feel it. You must already have the finances before you see it. You must first believe you receive them in its invisible form. And then you shall have it in its visible form. And just because something is invisible does by no means mean that it doesn't exist. Faith is your title deed. It's the evidence of things not seen. And so my dear brothers and sisters, stay in the realm of faith. Get your faith where your desire is before you pray. And hold fast and let God be God.